Just a head-on collision with a speeding car, no problem. And I didn't feel a bit of pain. I knew nothing was broken. I knew I was fine because the monitors, the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me, said, hey, you're protected. Do you trust us? That's basically what they said. Don't worry about any of this stuff, buddy. We got this physical stuff covered. And they did. So, yeah, I started asking these people if they saw this thing. And, man, the circle got wider. They, people were freaking out, kind of. They didn't know what the hell was going on. Because they saw me crying and screaming and praying and stopping. And then talking to something that obviously they didn't see. that wasn't there. And then being hit by a car, then getting right up like it didn't happen. Welcome to Heroes Behind Headlines. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Our guest today is musician, author, actor, and psychic Gary Wimmer to talk about his very important book, A Second in Eternity, and the near-death experience he had in 1977, when after being hit head-on by a speeding car, he immediately left his body, sped through the tunnel of light, often described by others, experienced ecstasy and beauty beyond description for what seemed like an eternity, then returned to his body seconds later, sprawled out on the chaotic street, surrounded by a shocked crowd of witnesses and looking into the eyes of the terrified driver who hit him. Miraculously, Gary felt no pain, nor were his bones broken or his body injured. What he had experienced in those few seconds as he lay on the street, leaving normal everyday consciousness and entering dimensions and worlds beyond imagination, to being at one with the infinite and to returning back to the world of space and time on Earth changed him forever and provide us a glimpse into dimensions and abilities that are both empowering and inspiring. We're very grateful that Gary is with us to share his amazing story. It's my great honor to welcome Gary Wimmer as today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines with Ralph Pizzullo. Well, I was born in New Jersey. We, I had two older brothers. They're actually born on December 8th, exactly a year apart, 45 and 46. Wow. Double and triple Sagittarius. Then I'm born on November 8th, 47. And I had another younger brother two and a half years later. So in 1952, we moved to Houston. My dad got tired of commuting in New York. Uh, in 1953 or four, we moved to Fort Worth. I basically grew up in Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Went to high school there. Went to Texas Tech. Of course, uh, you know, I was a musician, and I got in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as best I could. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> in the late 60s, I started reading a lot about Edgar Casey and Psychic Ability and Ruth Montgomery and Madame Blavatsky. And, uh, an astrologer, a couple of them told me, he said, you got a lot of natural psychic ability mm -hmm. in your chart. Well, I was an electrical engineer and um, got out in 1970, Vietnam, all defense work. I was a conscientious objector. Uh, two years later, 
it was still all the fence work. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to work in engineering. I wanted to go travel and play music. And you know, I knew I probably wouldn't make much money because I was, wasn't a good singer. And that makes a difference if you're trying to be a musician. Mm-hmm. In 1977 is when I had this experience. I was traveling with bands. I had gone through a, quite a lot of depression in my early 20s because I wasn't a good singer. And I didn't want to spend my life as an expendable sideman. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It scared the hell out of me. Yeah. So in 1977, out of the clear blue, I started going through this experience. First couple days. Yeah. Before then, had you had, when you were a child, did you have psychic experiences? I think I did because I had two older brothers. I'm a Scorpio. My mom's a Cancer. We're the only water signs. I could always feel things. Mm-hmm before they happened and so i i never thought about it much till i started later realizing oh it's intuitive and psychic ability right yeah i've always felt that as a kid i was just reading a minute ago on scorpios you know and i'm double scorpio so i pick up a lot of stuff just by nature of yeah and karma or whatever you know yeah yeah and i was a, a catholic i was uh an altar boy mm-hmm I damn quill artificat you been to I know the whole mass in Latin. Wow. I did. Wow. So she be out damn it was how many potentially, you know. <laughs> but then puberty hit. Yeah. And I went, something about the Catholic Church doesn't fit. I had no problem with God, yeah. no problem with Christ. Yeah. I had a problem with horny old men in the church that couldn't live couldn't even understand human sexuality. So yeah, yeah. I'm out yeah. of the church, but not out of spirituality. Right, right. I was the same way. Yeah, yeah. When I, first I went to catechism, they kept saying, you know, you ask too many questions. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not supposed to ask questions? Yeah. I used to as a nun, ask the nuns in like the fifth grade, I'd say, how do you take 500 days penance off infinity? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many days you take off. Right, you know? right, right. But that was, you know. Yeah. So anyway, in college, I was uh, I played in bands all through high school and college. Started playing music way back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beach Boys. As soon as the Beatles came out and the Stones, I learned you know all the English Invasion. I learned every song mm-hmm. came out. wasn't planning on being a professional musician, but I graduated from electrical engineering in nineteen seventy, and I was draftable, and I had already done a lot of work on a conscience objector status, mm-hmm. securing it. Mm-hmm. through the um, American Friends Service Committee. Oh, yeah. The Quaker organization of held people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I finally got, uh, I had to go through court cases and everything to get a my conscience objector verified. Mm-hmm. Worked two years here in Austin, the Austin State School, and started playing and traveling, mu- traveling and playing music. And uh, again, going through a lot of depression because I, didn't have a voice and didn't want to be expendable forever. Mm-hmm. And then in 1977, sort of out of clear blue, hmm. I, I quit the band as you read. I needed some time to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And within 24 hours, the world was radically different. Hmm. I started feeling things my roommates were thinking or saying. I, the next day, I, I couldn't sleep that night. Yeah. Next day, my roommate came in reading the paper, and I saw it right through his eyes as he walked through the door. Wow. And he threw it down the table. It was about Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And I started having these premonitions, feelings about everything. Walking to the store, I could hear everybody think. I could feel something behind me, green. It's two wheels around. There's a green bicycle behind me. Yeah. This was 
happening so fast. Yeah. So, and within 24 hours, I could not remember what normal life was like. It changed that much that quickly. Wow. So you're just seeing everything differently. Everything was symbolic. Yeah. Okay. Everything was, you know, catching up to the millisecond of the whole world's consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. So normal things were not even on the priority scale. The only thing that was on the priority scale of what is happening and how can I deal with this and the world is changing too fast. Yeah. And I got to the point where I couldn't turn it off. So I kind of had to deal with it because I didn't know what button or what was happening anyway. Right. And was this frightening to you? Oh, it was terrifying. Yeah. At the same time, it was the most powerful enlightening feeling I've ever had. But it was both extremes simultaneously and me walking on this thin tightrope between two different realities. (laughs) Yeah. Neither of which were just normal, mundane, tie your shoes, do your thing reality. Right. I didn't know why things had changed. I was getting pretty damn concerned and terrified. My roommates were. Mm -hmm. But since I couldn't turn it off, I thought, well, might as well just use it and practice it. Right. And we went to a club that night, and it was noisy, and I couldn't take the band and went to the front room and silence, thought about getting outside, getting some air. And all of a sudden, I'm back at this place outside where I'd felt some premonition earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. And opened my eyes, and nope, I'm still sitting in the bar stool, and the door opened, and these people walked through who I'd just seen. Wow. Because I was just standing outside. And I started being able to project my outside outside and see who was coming in the door, something I'd never even thought about. But it seemed so natural and so easy. And my roommate was baffled when I could do this. He came back in. Stuff like that started happening, and, and my roommates were very concerned. I was very concerned. Yeah. But again, there was no off button. Right. I didn't know why it was happening. In that instance, you were actually betting with your roommate. You're saying, hey, I can tell yeah, yeah, yeah. who's going to come in. It's going to be two people. There's going to be a girl in a red dress. And he goes, sure, I'll take this bet. And then, sure enough. Yeah, after 10 or 15 bucks, he quit. <laughs> but it's it completely baffled him, and it kind of baffled me, too. But it was such a different reality. Like I said, there's no neutral. Yeah. Or either I was picking stuff up, feeling stuff, whatever, from any degree, from persons, from space, from the radio. Yeah. Or I was projecting something, hopefully innocently, on the world somewhere because there was too much energy and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't turn it off. Didn't know I was happening. Yeah. So several times I'd go look at a stranger three blocks away and think, scratch your head and point up to that building. And they do it. Wow. And I thought, did I make that happen? Yeah. Because if I did, that's dangerous. Yeah. Or did I just happen to pick up that this guy was about to do that? Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't tell the difference. I could not tell the difference. Wow. They were both so intertwined. So the complexity of of being alive, of time and space, of, of action, reaction, everything was acting like billions and billions of thoughts and realities are intertwining, making what seemed like a fairly smooth world. Yeah. Thank God we can't see all the background noise and information and karma and tendencies and yeah. that make things happen. We we get to see kind of the result, and that's enough to deal with, you know, just to live in life. Exactly, exactly. But now you're being bombarded with all this information. I'm being bombarded, and yeah, my roommates are, are concerned, and I didn't know what to do. And this started building up. I'll, 
And as you read in the book, my roommate, one of them was real, he didn't care. He would get out of here. You're driving me crazy. The other one was very concerned and interesting, curious. Yeah. And we went to a restaurant, uh, the, um, I don't think of the name of it. It's in the book again, filling station. Yeah. Here in Austin, Texas, and it's a big hamburger joint, real popular. And we were in there, and I, in my roommate saying, How's this going? How are you dealing with it? Is this okay? And I said, It's easy for me to just show you. Yeah. And I pointed, I nodded toward two ladies way in the corner, far as people away, and said, Do you think you know either of them? He looked around and now, Why? And I said, Well, I'm going to have the brunette who's facing away from us. Who'd have to turn around to even look at us, as opposed to the other woman who could. Yeah. So I'm gonna have the brunette write me a letter. What? I said, I'm gonna have her seem perfectly harmless. Yeah. No? Yeah. Absurd, but my my world was kind of absurd at that point. Yeah. I couldn't turn it off, so might as well practice it. Yeah. And I kept visualizing that lady and kind of drawing like a path, like a laser over to my table. The guy here in the blue shirt, write me a letter. Didn't look at her, didn't walk that way. And my roommate, who's eaten away, completely forgot about it. Yeah. You know, I didn't. Yeah. And I kept thinking. And as I'm eating, I'm thinking, write me a letter, write me a letter. And later, they, the two ladies walked by. The brunette was the second one. And she threw a napkin down on the table. You know, big old napkin. And in big black bold letters, she's written, why are you doing this to me? Wow. That freaked me out it freaked her out it freaked my roommate out and before i could even get a breath and go ask her what she experienced they were gone and i was dazzled because i'm screwing with people's lives yeah and she was aware of it she was aware that you were in she your was head. aware of it from some level somehow yeah to this day i wish i would have leaped up and go how did you why did you write that letter what did you feel what, yeah but she was kind of pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They were at the bar, and my roommate was stunned, and I'm sitting there with that letter. So these incidences, I, I, there was no neutral, so I kept having to think of ways to keep myself from going totally crazy yeah. or totally fearful. But like I said, it was terrifying and super in, enjoyable. Yeah, it's like suddenly you have a superpower in a way. But it got too much. Yeah. After six, seven days of this, I I hadn't slept hardly at all. Yeah. I've never heard of anybody experiencing that. I didn't either. Yeah. But every every NDE seems a little different. A lot of happens in accidents and hospitals. Yeah. Mine happens sitting at home trying to figure out what my next mu musical career would be and what to do with my girlfriend and all. And normal stuff. Yeah. Which turned into not normal stuff quickly yeah i had no choice so i kept on that train because i couldn't get off didn't know what button to push right had no idea what was happening or why but uh, at the end i kept feeling these monitors these they seemed to name themselves they were like guardian angels i couldn't see them but i could feel them uh -huh. and they were checking on me like is he okay yeah <laughs> or something can he handle this yeah and that's it that's one of the only things that gave me some feeling of confirmation that you know everything's okay someone's checking on me some higher nobody i couldn't relate to what was going on none of my friends could nobody could yeah but they seemed to understand and they seemed to kind of pat me on the back and give me confidence and so forth and this built up and up and up and finally after about the age seventh eighth day i couldn't take it yeah 
so much stuff happened. And I kept seeing premonitions of all these ambulances, cops, and this hysteria. Yeah. You know, a couple of hours before what I'm about to tell you, I had to break up a fight around the corner between my lawyer and his dysfunctional, drunk, cocaine driving boyfriend, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't going through enough. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. But after that, I started walking toward Guadalupe Street because I was just lost. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Didn't really know where I was going, but I knew I couldn't sit still. I had too much energy. And as I'm walking, I could feel all these people's thoughts again. I started getting more and more wow. concerned, terrified, lonely, afraid. So you're hearing the thoughts in your head of all the people that you're seeing. Everything. Yeah. Everything. And I couldn't. I knew it was true. I knew it was accurate. I didn't even have time to try to verify it. I didn't care. I tried to. I was trying to figure out how to turn it off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And finally, I was praying and crying. And walking down the street, just sobbing, going, God, and a lot of people were looking at me. <laughs> Big circle. Yeah, sure. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I looked at them like, maybe you should back away. I might just blow up. That's what I felt like. Yeah. Literally, I'd explode. Um, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of this most fearful point of my life, I felt this instantaneous warmth. Uh-huh. An instantaneous fearlessness. It's just like bam, gone. Yeah. And I what the? And I looked up, and there's this huge light above me. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a spotlight. And I remember thinking, if I had a ladder, I could touch the thing. It was five, six feet ahead. Yeah. It turned out to be a glass crystal table about that thick, about that thick, not that. And there was seven white-robed figures around it. Hmm. And as I'm looking up, I look around at this crowd and they didn't acknowledge it. They didn't see it. They're just staring at me like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. This, this guy didn't know what's wrong with this guy. <laughs> right, right. I can't help you with that. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. So I, I went, I don't care. They don't see it. Yeah. Uh, so I looked back up and then I said, I realized, I said, you're the monitors. You're the guides. They've been, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, do you trust us? I said, yeah, but I don't understand what's happening. Over there. Shh. Do you trust us? I said, yeah. And I'll skip a little details, as you know. And within seconds, I was involved in a head-on collision with a speeding car, this speeding car. And I'm outside my body all of a sudden, seeing my body top over the car. Yeah. And I'm expanding outward like a balloon all of a sudden, not like an arrow. And I see the whole city of Austin and the whole earth all of a sudden, like it's going inside me. It's expanding, expanding in all directions. Like a, I saw my body down there on the street, so I knew it was spiritually and psychically and mentally, yeah, expanding. But I, I saw the whole Earth from three hundred and sixty. Wow, South Pole all the way around because it was inside my psyche. Yeah, was, I was growing and evolving, and I realized later that's how souls leave the planet, and that's how souls come into the planet. Hmm compress in from the whole universe right down to the mother point of birth bam that's how it happens takes an imprint of everything wow when we leave we expand outward not like an arrow yeah so this expansion was quite thrilling uh the fear had totally disappeared yeah and very soon i had no idea of me yeah it was just pure sensation you know the the self the individual you know way of the background yeah and it was all sensation. And I tell you, 
I cannot describe how thrilling and beautiful and liberating that that feeling was. And it seemed to go on yeah. and on. And I was expanding. And then I went to the outside of the, felt like the edge of the universe. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of the book I describe, I felt like I went through this realm of consciousness called the colors. Yeah, yeah, that sounded really spectacular. Yeah, And that seemed to be a level of consciousness that as our souls come into physical reality, we pass through that level. Uh -huh. And it gives us the ability to use our senses and our logical mind to be able to understand who we are, where we came from. Mm. It, that's the colors that gave us the, the sensory input can connect to the infinite mind and so forth. Right. But then I'm outside the universe. Yeah. Complete. And it seemed to be one of billions of universes. Like everywhere I look, there's universes. And that's the one I came out of. Huh. So all of a sudden, these universes seem to kind of wrap up and spin around and made this tunnel of light, which many people described. And it's a mm -hmm. pretty clear explanation. I felt like I was going through these silver white clouds like a like a clown being shot through a cannon at a circus or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a thrill. Yeah. I had no awareness of me. Yeah. Just sensation. Just a complete experience. Complete sensation and the most beautiful. And then I came out of this tunnel of light and into this infinite blue sky blue void. It was infinite. Yeah. It was everything every possibility there was no limitation it was far beyond any no bias yeah just infinite creativity yeah and there's two possibilities either it existed which it does and and everything exists or it wouldn't exist and nothing would exist yeah there's no in between yeah yeah but nothing could if anything is bigger than infinite mind then that's the top dog yeah <laughs> you know? yeah. So to speak. yeah and i'm mind blow i say i but i i felt mind blown by what i'm experiencing you know there's no sense of time there's a it's almost like this infinite mind was spinning around showing me pictures and creations and and different realities and different planets and different possibilities but so fast yeah i really couldn't center on any of them it's just like yeah just flashing by like infinite mind was saying Here's infinite creativity. You yeah. get luck. Yeah. Yeah. Completely unbiased. Yeah. And then I felt like for some reason, rather than being, I felt like I was a, being a part of this infinite mind, yeah. not a separate observer. Yeah. Or the idea of separation disappeared because I lost all sense of self. Yeah, right. I said, must just be then a certain sense of awareness of being an observer came back into play and boy instantaneously i was being pulled away from this beautiful void that i knew that i use the term spiritual gravity mm -hmm. look a second eternity because it felt like i was being pulled back somewhere yeah i had no idea who i was where i was going or why but i know that where i was was pretty beautiful yeah and you had no choice you couldn't stay there I was just going back, you know, nobody asked me or right. In fact, the thing that seemed to instigate the return is the awareness of being an observer mm. of infinite mind rather than just being it. Ah, interesting. And that's a mind boggling yeah. discrepancy between finite limitation self and infiniteness. But I truly didn't know myself then. I started heading back into this universe and come into this galaxy and this planet and 
wondering who, where am I going? Yeah. And then I saw three series of pictures mm -hmm. as I came toward Austin, Texas, where I was laid out in the street in Guadalupe Street here, yeah. across from UT. I saw a first series of pictures where all this stuff that I describe, not very heavily in the book, but I've talked a lot about it on the podcast, this immense, intense world revolution we're going through. Mm -hmm. Everything's being brought to its extremes, to the surface, and it's not in vain. It's so we can see all the problems and all the issues and all the holes in the boat. Yep. Get the duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> Start fixing stuff. Right. You know? Then I saw a bunch of pictures of when stuff's actually fixed. Maybe 100 years, 300 years, 50 years, I don't know. And it's not a particular date. Mm -hmm. It's the Aquarian age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The age of light, brotherhood of man. You know, the thousand years of peace, the return of Christ consciousness, you know. Right. Christ ain't going to come back in robes and sandals and do it. You no, know, it's Christ consciousness. Right. It's God consciousness. It's happened to the whole planet. Right. And we're going through it right now. We're going through it. Right. And it's not a particular date. It's a process. It's a, yeah. But the other series of pictures I saw were just the beautiful side of the Aquarian age. Wow. And I still didn't know who I was. I was seeing these pictures just flat before my eyes. Then I saw this musician who was a psychic who was playing the piano and guitar, and I thought, wow, do I know this character? Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden, I saw my body, and I jumped back into my body. Yeah. Bam! And I felt no pain. In fact, I, as soon as I opened my eyes, there was a guy with long red hair just screaming in shock. He was the driver of the car. He's terrified. Man, I couldn't stop my radio. I said, hey, more. I'm not hurt. You know, I tried to push him off. He tried to hold me down. I, I pushed him away because I couldn't deal with all this yeah. freaking out. Hey, I'm fine, okay? Yeah, leave you know? me alone. I just had this most profound experience of my life. Just a head-on yeah. collision with a speeding car. <laughs> right. No problem. And he figured every bone in your body was broken, probably. Yeah, and I didn't feel a bit of pain. I knew nothing was broken. I knew I was fine because the monitor's the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me said, hey, you're protected. Yeah. Do you trust us? That's basically what they said. Don't worry about any of this stuff, buddy. Yeah. We got this physical stuff covered. Wow. And they did. Wow. So, yeah, I started asking these people if they saw this thing. And, yeah, man, the circle got wider. They, people were freaking out, kind of. They didn't know what the hell was going on. Because they saw me crying and screaming and praying and stopping. And then talking to something that obviously they didn't see that wasn't there. Yeah. And then being hit by a car, then getting right up like it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really is comical. Yeah, no, no, no. From their perspective. Oh, yeah. You can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have, I'm a writer. I couldn't have thought of a screenplay or a story that's that right. absurd and ridiculous yet true. Right. So uh, all these, I was just going to go home. Yeah. Well, okay, cars wrecked. I don't care. People scream. I can't handle all this. I'm just going home. Yeah. And the people start saying, no, hang around. The cops are coming. Ambulance. Are... Sure, I'll just explain it to them and then I'll go home. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cops, police, ambulance, they're all, when they came up, they're trying to look for this body that's splattered in blood. And hell, I'm standing up trying to talk to these people and they're kind of freaked out. Yeah. And they look around. And I said, "I'm I'm the one y'all are looking for," and they're all pointing. Yep, him. Yeah, you know, they couldn't believe I was standing or even walking, not a 
scratched on a bit of blood. Gee, so they're looking for a body, and you're standing Yeah, at, they're looking for a body in the middle of the floor. The guy got hit by a car, you know? And the car was obviously, you know, pretty seriously damaged. Car was damaged. Yeah. In fact, long story short, I got sued for damages on the car. <laughs> Can you believe that? Like 600 bucks or so. One of the papers is in the book. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't know what to do. I was thought I'm going to go home, and I thought I'd hang around, and then the cops and the ambulance came, and I tried to explain it to everybody, and they're all scratching their head. And Then I asked them if I could go home, and they said, no, man, we've got to take you to the hospital. You could be hurt. Yeah. You know, blasting your hair, skull, broken bones, shock. Right. So I couldn't talk my way out of that. They took me to the hospital, x-rayed me, checked me out. And for some reason, news about this crazy guy got hit by a car, just jumped up and started talking like it didn't happen. Yeah. That reached the hospital, and they're all out there when I'm coming in in the emergency room. They're all like looking like I should have green horns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's this character? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they rolled me over. After they checked me out, they rolled me over to the corner of the hospital. and. About 20 minutes later, this guy came walking in, and I had premonitions about him. He was a psychiatrist. I knew his name, all about him, kids, his wife. Yeah. Told him some of this stuff, and he's mind blown. Yeah. How do you know this? I said, right now, Doc, I know everything, you know? Yeah. And he said, well, we can't let you just walk home. We can't put you out on the street like this. You can understand why. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And he said, we're going to have to get a... We're going to put you in a psychiatric hospital. We're going to have to get an order of protective custody to do so. So we're going to have to put you in jail till we get the order of protective custody. Yeah. And I didn't care where they put me. Yeah. I was so high off. Wow. What I just went through. Right. And you're probably just beginning to process what you went through. Boy, just beginning. This is 45 years later. I'm still processing it. (laughs) But yeah, they threw me in jail. I was talking to the other people in the cells. I was able to pick up stuff about them and their cases. Yeah. Jailer came up to me and said, you quit talking to these people about their legal problems. You're not a lawyer. And if you don't shut up, we're going to go put you in solitary confinement. Yeah. I shut up. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to go there. But my brother who lived here in Austin, I saw him. He was in with a detective and they asked me what's going on. And I tried to explain. And of course, they looked at each other like crazy. Yeah. Which I could easily understand. Sure. No, I wouldn't have believed me. Yeah. How can you believe something that ridiculous? Yeah. Or lightning, or strange. Yeah. But I couldn't do anything, so um, my brother and the, the detective kind of nodded each other, and next thing I know, I'm being taken to uh, Shoal Creek Hospital, private psychiatric hospital, and they moved me up the uh, protective intensive custody unit, PICU, and as soon as they moved me up there, I thought, PICU, I'm still seeing symbolism. Yeah. And it was like, I see you. Ah. Yeah, I see. I was seeing symbolism in everything still. Yeah. A week later, everybody at the hospital liked me. I was, you know, playing guitar and banging on what little piano I knew. And they called me Mr. Smiles. And I was. Yeah, you made a friend with a 12 year old kid who was there. Guy named Dana. He was real, super hyperactive. Yeah. And I could understand him. We'd play chess and I'd cover my eyes because he could pick up what I'm thinking about. Ah. And I tried to explain it to his parents that, yeah, the kid's very unusual, very strong, but he's got a brilliant mind, man. You figure out, plug him into something, you know? Watch out. 
because he was pretty he was pretty socially very awkward mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. blew up as he cooled down real quiet and real extreme real intense yeah but yeah he gave me a plaque he made down to the shop that said to my best friend ever Prost. wow blew my mind 12 year old kid yeah yeah someone in the uh when i wrote the book Someone on Amazon commented, I'm a mental health worker. They would not put a 12-year-old boy in with a 29-year-old man. They did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Maybe to save money. Maybe they were full. Yeah. The door is always open. Yeah. You don't close the door. You always leave it open. You can't lock it. Yeah. They can always walk by and just look in. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. So after a week there, they... um, they took me before a board of 10 psychiatrists or seven or eight, some health workers, because they're real concerned. And this is obviously some process they go through yeah. to decide if they're going to ask for another 10-day mandatory commitment mm-hmm. or let me walk free. Yeah. And so I talked to him and I said, you guys, I've told you the story. I'm not changing it. I don't care. I can't change it. Yeah. You're mental yeah. health workers. Yeah. You guys should be interested in this because there's yeah. a connection between the mind and you know a little weird personalities eccentricities and psychic ability i mean uh you know most artists and weirdos have been the discoverers and inventors of a lot of stuff because we think outside the box and probably live outside the box that's right so they agreed that i was sane and balanced and no problem and everybody's and even my psychiatrist who is a he was a God bless him. He was a very fundamentalist Baptist, and he could not handle me talking about reincarnation and God and infinite mind and going there and co- it just. <laughs> but he had some problem with his sons. Yeah, and I grew up with six brothers. Yeah, so I, and he didn't even tell me about it. I just started talking to him about him. His sons. He's kind of. He didn't ever say. How did you know? You're right. Yeah, but he just you know kind of looked like. How did you get into my world? Yeah. And I didn't even tell him how. I just started talking about how to deal with his kids. Yeah. Two or three times. And every time he would, we would talk, he, you know, I'd say, Have you ever done psychedelics? Which I did. I'm part of the 60s generation. Yeah. Have you ever had a psychic experience? And of course he said no to both. I said, Then I've done both. I know the difference. This was not a hallucination. Yeah. From LSD use in college. No, it was a profound spiritual experience. Yeah. And uh, look at what I'm talking to you about. Yeah. Look at what I'm telling you. Look at all the records. Look at the people at the hospital. Look at what happened. And look what I'm telling you about your own kids and your own family, and you haven't told me anything. Yeah, and he couldn't handle it, but at the final hearing, he said, yes, I think Gary's very smart and very well on his own feet. He kind of, he didn't want to hold me back from being free. None of them did, because they realized. Yeah. We don't understand this, but the guy didn't hurt anybody. Right, right. Kind of a miracle. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. He ain't stupid. He's Gets not along with everybody at the hospital. I'm an entertainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Always have been. Yeah. Since, since I was a teenager with two dominant older brothers, I learned to be the funny guy, the crazy guy, the weird guy, the puppet show, the, mm-hmm. rather than the target. Right. Or the, <laughs> right. I didn't want to be the... Right, right. Smart. Yeah. I figured the way to distract and entertain to not be pounced on right so yeah they let me out of the hospital a couple months later i had a a, a return but not as intense and uh this time they took me to the state hospital it was actually on april fool's day 1977 which i thought was kind of comic comical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but during that second stage i didn't go through it wasn't as tense as the first experience 
But I did realize after that second stay that I had some issues I had to deal with. And eight months later, I kept asking my guides, why did I have this? Yeah. I mean, no complaint. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But why me? Why what me? Yeah, I- yeah. And you could still feel the presence of the monitors. I could feel them, but not as intense as those couple seconds, that, or millisecond of, that I actually saw them. Yeah. And you speak of feeling protected and powerful. Boy. Yeah. When I saw them, they were, this is in Guadalupe Street, 1977, February 7th. They were sitting around this crystal table with their hands on the table, and the light was coming down through their hands. It originally, it looked like a spotlight. Yeah. Looked up, and I looked around to the people around me who didn't notice it. Duh. Yeah. yeah. Of course, they couldn't see it. <laughs> then I looked up and saw this light coming down from their hands, and then I realized there were the seven monitors. And then I saw, oh, you're the monitors. But Could you distinguish their faces, their features? No, the, the one thing they had in their face was kind of like a gray raster, like a TV screen. Yeah, yeah. As if to say, our faces don't matter. Yeah. It's our message. They didn't want me to get tangled up in male, female face, what they look like. Right. So the, their faces were just purposely not even evident but their energy was yeah and they were in white off-white kind of grayish light grayish white robes uh-huh somewhere between white and soft white but what a feeling wow and they had their hands on this table and they were and they spoke in one voice huh. there were seven of them yeah and they they talked in one voice eight months later i kept asking my guys this is about october some 77 yeah and I'd asked him so many times, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Yeah. And finally, I don't know, clear blue, one day, I think September, October, I can't remember, I'm out on my porch playing my guitar, and again, I'm thinking about that, and bam, all of a sudden, I felt them there. Yeah. They were around yeah. somewhere, and I kind of looked at this area of the front yard. It seemed to be like if they were visibly present, that's where they would be. Yeah. And they shot this light into my head. And time seemed to stop. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing their voice, one voice. At the same time, I'm seeing these screen credits, like a movie, going off in the distance, vanishing in the background. And they're they're reading these words at the same time I see them. And it only took a second. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it spread out over two or three minutes, but it only took a second or two. Because I remember one car was here. I look at it, a second later, it was here. Yeah. I got this whole message instantaneously. And the message was, you had this experience because you always wanted to know. You always asked. Yeah. You were searching. You were, you know, you went through Catholicism. You couldn't handle that. You studied religions. You studied psychability. You read Edgar Casey. You could handle the truth. You were curious. And we took you. Wow. And brought you back. Wow. It was that simple. Wow. But I had to really think about it for months before they decided to let me in on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The one thing that never occurred to me is it happened because of my own curiosity. Hmm. The most obvious. Yeah. So ask, 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 ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell people all the time, you have no idea how much power you're connected to. Yeah. But you'll have no idea how much uh, weight you can lift until you go pick something up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow. <laughs> so that's kind of the story. And the aftermath over the last 45 years has been confirmation of that power. I constantly encourage people to, you know, even if you don't believe it, give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Be curious. 
what if you were connected to the infinite mind and could pull those strings? I mean, at least give it a consideration. I can't prove it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the interesting thing is about most people who have had near-death experiences, and I, the one thing in common is they all talk about feeling infinite love. Yeah. And that's what I felt seeing this infinite mind as a participant, as a part of it. Yeah. Didn't feel separate. But it all emanated from infinite love. Yeah. Wow. Now, how wow. infinite love, which is so beyond the ability of humans to conceive of. Yeah. If we're biased, we have this culture, that, you know, we name it, this preference. So many separations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And separation. Yeah. But infinite mind is um, so empowering, and we can all tune into it. We can change channels, and we can learn to work with it. Right. And when I saw that in 1977, yeah, I start asking my guide to help me find gigs and cars and girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> I never asked to wake up and be a great singer like Freddie Mercury because I knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did constantly ask to help me find gigs. I knew I'd never get a CD deal. Yeah. I knew I wasn't a big star, but I had a choice between make a living as a working musician or as an electrical engineer. And I didn't want to work in an office. I wanted to travel and experience fun and girls. And yeah. It paid for traveling. Yeah. So I was a musician my whole life from, you know, way back in the early 60s, I started playing. Uh, till about 12 years ago, I quit touring to play in my back, mm -hmm. heavy gear. Mm -hmm. Tired of hearing myself sing, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be honest mm -hmm. with you. But uh, life's been good to me. Yeah. It's been an opportunity to travel around playing music. And most of all, to see infinite mind and to come back yeah. and be able to help other people realize yeah. it's all okay. Yeah. Because it really is. What a story, Gary. What a story. Wow. Amazing experience. I mean, you're almost like a messenger, you know, for the rest of us. Yeah, I never thought about it, but I've I've well, I feel like in some way that's a good use of my energy and personality. That'll do. <laughs> yeah. Now let's go back to the because I'm sure people will be interested in this. When you saw what we were going to go through in the next 30, 50, 100 years, mm -hmm. basically what you're saying is you saw that as part of a process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a process because we have to see what needs to be fixed Yeah, in order to fix it. And we're seeing hate and, and uh, war and killing and... Uh, yeah, stupidity and arrogance and dictators and yeah, believe me, if I'd give my life in a split second if I could cure all that, but I can't. No, nobody can. But I can do my best to encourage people to, in spite of the fact that we're going through some trying times, it's the best time to learn things because when we go through challenges, our higher mind, our guides. To try to get our attention because we're more likely to listen than when we're out on a yacht or having a little sex. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So our higher mind is trying to tap on everybody's shoulder. Yeah. This is not in vain. This is look at look at what needs to be fixed, people. Right. But we do get to choose whether to pay attention and heed the call and fix things or just ignore it and blow it off and just be stupid, selfish jerks, or to be good, kind, enlightened people. We get to choose yeah. every second of every day. Yeah. And we do by omission or commission, one way or another. They ain't no neutral. Yeah. And you experienced that at the extreme. So you really saw how interconnected 
everybody is, how everybody's experience is, you were at the point where your thoughts were affecting other people, right? Right. You realized that, that there's a huge responsibility connected to that, right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You know, our, our lives, if we have this attitude, this approach, think this will happen, you know, it may or may not, but we're probably going to, uh, the thoughts we put in our head, our, life's going to prove to us that there's a relationship between that and the result. Yeah. You think strike out, strike out, you're gonna, probably going to strike out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think home run, home run, you're more likely to hit the ball. Right, right. Ta-da! Right. It ain't rocket science. Right. Right, right. It's what your intent, and that's the the beauty of free will, the biggest, the greatest gift humans have, because we can't change the past or other people or 10 billion things. Right. We can change the way we look at anything. Yeah. And what we think of things and the thoughts that we project into other people and into the universe and so on. And you experience that firsthand in a very visceral way. And also you had the ability to sort of shift in time as well you mean during the experience yeah oh yeah i went way ahead in the the future i saw you know hundreds of years ahead this was 1977 and you saw reagan being elected president and then being shot i thought that was absurd what reagan (laughs) are you kidding a lot of people did yeah these were fast flashes yeah and the reason I remember him is because Reagan did become president. He did get shot. It was all over the news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was Joe Schmo, I probably wouldn't have picked it up and couldn't confirm it anyway. Right. And I didn't go look for all this stuff knowingly. I guess subconsciously and spiritually, I wanted to tap into higher mind. Yeah. Which, of course, now I know we all came here to do exactly that. Yep. Not to suffer, but, you know. We suffer until you, if it's cold outside, until you get out of the cold or put a coat on. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Be proactive. Yeah. Be proactive yeah. about your growth. And there's a lot of fear and doubt and confusion in the world now, but it's showing us how to conquer doubt and fear and confusion. Right. If we never right. went through it, we'd never learn how to deal with it, and then it'd really knock you off your feet. Right. <laughs> you know? And also, what's interesting about your experience is it, it's basically saying you have the power to do it yourself. I think that's very, very profound, Gary. Well, I was lucky enough to see that we're all connected to infinite mind, and it ain't that far away. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's just... It's present all the time. We're just... Absolutely. We're just caught in our own little cocoon, sort of. Right. Yeah. And so many times, well, all the time in life, our higher mind... Consciousness, the universe is always tapping us on the shoulder, hinting to us to grow, evolve, make this opportunity to change. But we get to decide whether to answer the phone and heed the call, period. Yeah. <laughs> decisions, 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 and techniques. It's how we learn to play the piano or how we learn to evolve our consciousness. That's true. No accident. No such thing as accidents. Yeah. No coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and effect. Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Gary. What an amazing person you are and what an amazing experience you've had. We all go through fear, but remember when we learned to drive, we all hit the damn curb. (laughs) Right, right, right. You don't have to keep hitting the curb. Yeah. You don't have to keep living in fear. Right. We ain't going to change the situation very much, but we can change the way we look at it. And doing that means we act 
and react differently than we would if we were all right in fear and doubt. Right. And we have to understand that fear is a very useful tool for others to manipulate us. Yeah, and fear has a purpose. If, a, if you're a woman and a guy in a brain coach chasing you down an alley, let that fear tell you to run, 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 run. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but don't fear, don't fear life. Don't fear knowledge. Don't fear the worst case scenario. In fact, the more you think best case scenario, like hitting a home run, the more likely you're to hit it. That's right. And uh, we wouldn't learn to overcome our fear or our doubt if we didn't go through them. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, Ralph, I'm 76. I just turned 76. Um, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. I'm really not. That could change tomorrow, but for the last, since 1977, I haven't had a whole lot of fear. Yeah. Because that's the biggest fear I've ever gone through. And I came out luckily gifted able to inspire others more knowledgeable and extremely grateful yeah i had parathyroid surgery recently mm -hmm. and a couple other surgeries that could have been dangerous and uh i came out of them smell like a rose i meditate before i go in ask my guide hey keep an eye on the doctors you know yeah. <laughs> i even told my doctor the parathyroid surgery yeah i said look i need my voice yeah if you go in there and there's some cancer back there, but you got to screw with my voice to get it, leave the cancer. Yeah. I'm not afraid of dying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really not afraid of dying, but I'm afraid of losing my voice. Yeah. Kidding because I say I'm fearless, but yeah, there's right. things we don't want to have happen. And the best we can do is meditate, ask our guides to help us. Really meditate, ask your guides. You have no idea how much they can help you, but we have to ask. Yeah. They cannot walk over your free will and force you to realize that the earth is even round. <laughs> okay. What are you doing now, Gary? Well, I don't go anywhere. Uh, traffic in Austin is so intense. Yeah. I don't, you know, I like driving if it's out in the country somewhere. Yeah. I'm pretty much home most of the time. I do readings. I write a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, a, that's pretty much about it. Take care of my house. I'm 76. Uh, speak of asking your guides for something about 12 years ago, I was asking my guides for a soulmate because mm -hmm. I traveled a lot and, you know, I had a fair amount of girlfriends and lots of lonely times. Mm -hmm. And I asked my guides and because intentions are the most important thing. I told my guides that I will sign up for life. Yeah. Sight unseen, man, you bring me a soulmate. You... And within a couple months after i started meditating on the soulmate not on a girlfriend a soulmate for life yeah she walked up to me at a mixer and introduced herself to me wow and i went boy you speak a nice delivery <laughs> thank you yeah. it comes in real direct yeah oh it came in real direct and, <laughs> and you know we don't get everything we ask for but the more we ask for yeah. and the more we meditate and ask our guide to help us and do our part the more we receive wow we have to do our part and Ralph, by the way, you've certainly done your part to uh, enlighten humankind from your experiences, your writing, your... Uh, thank you. My thoughts and prayers and thank yous go out to you, my man. Near-death experiences are not a new phenomena. According to Plato, Socrates had one. Pliny the Elder recorded another in the first century. History is filled with examples of people falling from cliffs or drowning 
and experiencing bliss rather than terror. Today, we seem more enthralled by the power and meaning of these experiences than ever. Dr. Bruce Grayson, Professor Emeritus in Psychiatry at the University of Virginia, has been studying near-death experiences for years and has collected hundreds of first-person accounts. The accounts, he says, are mystical but have common themes. Most involve feelings of wonder, mental clarity, and bliss. Many people recall out-of-body experiences or report traveling through a long tunnel. Others meet entities they think of as God or angels or long-dead family members. Some feel time bend and warp as though it were elastic. One thing that most of them have in common is that in a matter of seconds, they dramatically transform people's attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors. Quote, they see purpose in life that they didn't see before, Dr. Grayson says. He adds, I don't know of anything else that powerful. Currently, Gary Wimmer lives in Austin, where he plays music, writes books and screenplays, acts, and gives readings using lithomancy, the psychic art of reading stones, and in his own words, quote, finds light everywhere and loves each day more than the day before. To learn more or book a reading, visit his website, GaryWimmerWith2Ms.com. His excellent book, A Second to Eternity, is available on Amazon. We thank Gary for sharing his inspiring story. The great Gary Wimmer is today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines. Executive producer, Ralph Pizzullo. Produced and engineered by Mike Dawson. Music provided by Extreme Music. For exclusive content, please join our Patreon group at patreon.com slash heroes behind headlines.